I'm Mitch McCracken, and this is Memphis Music Interview, Memphis Music History Told from the Inside, with the second part of my conversation with George Klein. Now, GK, last week we talked about Fats Domino, but that wasn't the end of the story. We became friends after that, and when I was in Vegas, I'd go sing with Elvis, and I never forget, he was playing the Thunderbird Lounge, and Elvis, was, Elvis wasn't playing anywhere, he was just partying out there. And uh-huh. we'd go see Fats, and he remembered me. And I said, Fats, you did me a big favor. Oh, it's all right, baby, I heard about you. You know, you play all my records. I said, yeah. So, <laughs> at the end of the thing, he said, Elvis, uh, I'm going to take a little break. Can I talk to you? And Elvis said, sure, Fats. So, he took his 15-minute break, came over to our table and was talking, and they were talking about show business, and Elvis telling him how much he was inspired by him and Blueberry Hill and all those songs. And so Fats said, uh, Elvis said, man, it's a pretty watch you got on, Fats. It was shaped like a piano. He uh-huh. said, you want to buy it, baby? You want to buy sell this to you? And Elvis said, Fats, man, I play guitar. I don't play piano. He said, oh, I'll sell it to you if you want it. And we made a big joke out of that. And uh-huh. every time Fats would come through, we'd go see him. He really was a nice guy. Mitch, and uh, later in life, uh, uh, oh, when I got this short Graceland, uh, for a couple of years, I'd call him. I got his home phone number in New Orleans, uh-huh. and I'd call him on uh, Sirius XM and do an interview with him. And now he came down with uh, uh, dementia. And uh, oh, wow. when I call him, he don't even know who I am, you know. Yeah. But it, it's so I don't want to embarrass him, you know. Right. But uh, we remained friends, and I knew a lot of people he knew. GK, I seem to remember a story about you working in L.A. I worked at KFWB one day. Did you really? In Los Angeles. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> And they offered me the midday, and, and like an idiot, I turned it down. It's, it's a long story, but I'll brief it down. Every summer, uh, when I go to L.A., <clears throat> I'd take my tapes with me. You know, back in those days, you'd take your audition tapes or where you went. And, I t- and so I would make the rounds of all the Los Angeles stations. I'd go, man, to everyone. I want to see the PD, the whole shtick. And I knew what to say. And having worked, having worked for they kind of some of the guys kind of heard of me. I'm not, they didn't know me, but they'd heard of me. Uh-huh. So they treated me pretty good. So uh, this one station, KFWB, <clears throat> I took the tape by, left it for Don Prince, the PD. And so I knew a, a record promoter named Ernie Farrell, I think it was his name. And uh, he'd been telling me to, 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 to uh, Don French. So, <clears throat> so Dom, I'll go back to the movie studio because I'm hanging with Elvis. I'm right. staying at his house and going to the studio with him every day. So I get a call. And uh, it's Don French, a PD of uh, KFWB. He said, I know you want to work here. He said, uh, but listen to your tape. It's not bad. He said, I want to do an on-air uh, audition with you. I said, on-air? He said, yeah. He said, I want you to work B. Mitchell Reed shift from 6 to 9. Did you ever read B. Mitchell Reed? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he's a fast talker like real Don Steele, you know. Uh-huh. B. Mitchell Reed, you know, he was a real fast talking guy. Anyway, <clears throat> so I went in and I did the show, 6 to 9. Uh-huh. And what he did, he did a cool thing. He had a, a, a promo announced that uh, this is George Klein, friend of Elvis Presley, out here on vacation, Memphis, Tennessee, radio TV guy. And uh, he's sitting in tonight for B. Mitchell on vacation as a guest jock. It was like a guest thing. Uh-huh. And so, sidebar story, I'm on air, <clears throat> light, the light starts blinking in the control room. Well, I'm thinking, it's a PD calling or something. I asked it for my producer. I said, man, what's that light? He said, somebody's at the back door, GK. He said, would you mind going back there since, uh, you know, 
we're short tonight. Yeah. You see who it is? So I go back here. It's Glenn Campbell. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he had he had a new record. He said, "You kick." Well, I known Glenn a little bit. <laughs> I say, "Glenn, how you doing?" He said, "He said, man, he said, can I come in?" I said, "Sure, you can come in." I said, "But Glenn, as far as your record goes, I said, I'm just doing a guest shot, man." I said, "Why don't you hang with me?" And I was almost over with the ship. And he and I said, "Let's go downstairs." And I said, "Don, I mean, Don French is there." And you can just give me a record yourself. He said, oh, man, cool. So we went down there, had coffee and Danish, whatever we talked. And Don still said, GK said, look, he said, man, all I got open is weekends. He said, I'll pay. He said, what are you making in Memphis? And I told him, he said, I'll pay you the amount of money you're making in Memphis with your radio and TV. I'll pay you that to do two weekends. And I said, is that right? He said, yeah. He said, you're not bad. He said, you're up-tempo. And, you, you know, you, you know the format, what we're doing, and all that and all that. So I said, okay. So I thought about it, thought about it, man. So I went back to the movie studio, and Colonel Parker was there. Uh-huh. And, I, and, and I said, Colonel, I said, man, I got this offer from KFWB to work six to nine. What do you think? And he said, uh, he said, you're a big fish in a little pond in Memphis. You got a TV show. You got a radio show. Everybody in Memphis knows you. If you come out here, you're going to be a little fish in a big pond. Something else will come along for you. So I called Don French, and I said, Don, I said, man, this is the hardest phone call I ever had to make. He said, what? I told him, I said, Don, I got a made in Memphis. I love to work for you, but I'm apprehensive to come out here for just weekends. Just keep me in mind for anything else, Don. I said, I don't want you to get mad at me. So I'm not mad at you. He said, I understand. You're a little nervous about coming out here. You got a made in Memphis. He said, but I'll think about you. I'll keep you in mind. I said, okay, man. Thank God you you understand. So, Mitch, I go back to the studio, and I tell Elvis and tell Colonel Parker, and I said, well, GK, we think you, you, had, you did a smart thing. Something will happen for you. So I get back, and I'm lying. go to Elvis. We'll stand up in Bel Air. Elvis finished shooting that day. Uh-huh. And I get a call at night. It's Don French. And he said, GK, Don French. I said, hey, Don, what's up? He said, did you hear the news? I said, no. He said, my nine to noon guy was coming around Sunset Boulevard and on that little area where where it curves off of the ocean area. He said he fell asleep, went off the cliff and killed himself. Oh, whoa. And so he said, you think you could do middays, nine to noon? I said, oh, Don, man, I don't know, man. I said, I'm just not ready for a midday or morning jog or an afternoon drive in L.A. yet, and I don't want to take that job and screw you guys up. I didn't take the gig. Uh-huh. He came back to Memphis, and and then, but the, but the funny part about it, Mitch, I still got it home here somewhere. They sent me a check for that one day I worked, uh-huh. and I never cashed it. It was like fifty dollars or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just want to prove I worked at KFWB one day. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my one day of working in L.A. Well, yeah. But did you enjoy it? <laughs> oh man, Mitch, it was. Humble, it's a dream. Because yeah. I'd been going out there for five or six years with Elvis. Uh-huh. So whatever happened to that great lineup? I think Wink left and went into full-time TV. And I think B. Mitchell-Reed went back to New York as a jock. And uh, Gene Weed got a TV show called, what's it, Hullabaloo, was that the name of it? Yeah, yeah. I think it uh-huh. was. Yeah, Hullabaloo. And so those guys were bailing out. And, uh, you know, they had a name for themselves. I had no name in L.A. Right. But it, it was an interesting situation. Because what's his name? What, what was his name? Uh, Jimmy O'Neill. Uh, Jimmy O'Neill had, what was the name of that show? Uh, yeah, that was uh, Shindig. Uh, he had Shindig. Right. And and Gene Weed had Hullabaloo, which is a copy. Right, right. And, and um, what, what happened was, see, <clears throat> all them guys working there, Mitch, they, they were called in by... 
TV guys that were getting ready to do TV productions to do those TV shows. Mm-hmm. And, and Jimmy Jimmy O'Neill was working at, I think, some station, 6 to 9 or something, he told me. Guy had been listening to him, called me, said, so-and-so produced him, got this new show, go shindig, uh, why don't you like to come down and audition for it? He said, sure. And, you know, he, he auditioned, and Gene Weed said basically the same thing happened to him. And a couple of other jobs, but it's it's a great door opener for you in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and if Dean's originally went out there to work for KHJ, right. and and what happened was that AM was going down real fast and FM was coming in. Mm-hmm. And so KHJ let him go. Right. And he was on the street and didn't have a gig. Right. And so Jay Cook, you remember him? Oh, yeah. All right, well, Jay Cook and I were real good friends. In fact... <clears throat> Uh, what was the morning station? These was he was number one, making two million a year. What was it? Uh, Kiss FM. Kiss. That's okay. So anyway, uh, we're we're in the music room at HBQ one day, and I get a call, and I go in the other room to take it. it. Goes Jack Parnell and Jay Cook and me in the music room. We were just shooting the shit, and, and they said it's fine. You got a phone call long distance, so I went out the room to take it. And uh, this guy said, "I'm Mike Joseph." And I say, "Mike, I'd heard of him. He was like a programmer, like Drake, you know." Uh-huh. And he was he was pre Drake, and so he said, "Look," he said, uh, "I'm I'm uh, turning over WFIL in, in Philadelphia." Um, he said, "I'm going to reprogram it. I'm going to be the consultant." And he said, well, "I'm going to offer you a job working, you know, six to nine, nine to midnight. Well, he think you can handle it." And I said, "Man, I said, Mike, let me think about it." And I said, "I've been really wanting to go west, but you know, Philly's a big market." I said, "You see, I've heard, I've been through Memphis. I've listened to you. He said you're good." He said. Uh, Think about it and give me a call tomorrow. I said, okay. So I went back in the music room, and I said, guess who I just got a call from? And Jay Cook and Jack Parnell said, who? And I told him, I said, Mike Joseph. Man, shit, he's a big guy, GK. And I said, I know, but I don't want to go to Philly. Uh, You know, it's cold up there. It's a long way from home. I don't know anybody in Philly. I want to go west, man. Uh So, So Jay Cook and Jack Parnell both said, man, do you mind if I call? We call him. I said, no. So Jay called him and got a gig. And Jay, he, he flew Jay up there, and Jay got middays, and later became PD, and later became vice president of Gannett. Parnell went up there and took the gig, and then got cold feet and turned it down. Mm-hmm. Came back. He was going to do morning. He was going to do. They brought Chuck Browning in to do mornings, but I think Parnell was going to do like nine to noon or noon to three or something. Uh-huh. Jay was going. Jay was going to do noon to three. Parnell was going to do nine to noon, and they hired Chuck Browning. Chuck was going to do six to nine. Mm-hmm. And so Parnell comes back, and he said he turned it down. And so <clears throat> I, call, I had to call Mike Joseph back and say, Mike, I appreciate it. And I said, but I turned you on to two really good guys. He said, yeah, I'm glad you did. He said, they're really good. He said, I've heard of them. He said, well, I'm sorry you can't come this way. I said, Mike, don't get mad. It's the same stick. I said, don't get mad. <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah. you know, I said, because someday I may be calling you for a job. He said, okay. And uh, so that's how Jay Cook and, and my, Jack Parnell both were hired at FIL, and Jack came back home. Q and Jack Jay went man he went out, he hired Doctor Don Rose he had him uh-huh. he had a good staff there man yeah did Jack Parnell get his job back at HBQ when he came back yeah well he never told him he was leaving oh okay he went okay. up there secretly and interviewed they flew him up there and interviewed him once we looked live talked to him and they hired him mm-hmm. he said okay I'm taking a gig I got to go back to Memphis get everything straight and get the movers and all that stuff and then he comes back home. And his wife didn't want to go to Philly, and he, he was a little concerned with Philly. He was like sort of a Memphis guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
So he had to call him back and say, man, I appreciate the offer, but I can't go. Right. But anyway, D's, let me tell you that D's story. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. What happened was, he'll tell you, uh, a Jay Cook called me. D's was out of work <laughs> because, like I said, when he went out there to cage, Jay, AM was going down, FM was coming up. Right. And Jay had just been promoted to West Coast manager of all the cadets facilities on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kiss, Kiss FM was one of the biggest ones in L.A., but it wasn't doing anything yet. So Jay got there, and he eventually turned it around by doing all the Drake stuff and all the stuff he'd done in Philly. So he called me, and he said, G.K. I said, yeah, Jay, what's up? Congratulations, man. He said, oh, thank you, G.K. And he said, I said, uh, he said, but I need to ask you something. I said, what, Jay? He said, uh, how well you know Rick Dees? I said, I know him really well. When he was here in Memphis, you know, he used to ask me for advice, and I'd give him in, input and stuff. Uh-huh. He said, "He said, well, you know, he's on the street now. He doesn't have a job. I said, he said, I'm going to turn around and kiss, kiss FM here in L.A. And he said, uh, I think we can win because FM's coming in, and we're going to do basically the same formats we did with Drake and, and uh and whatever, you know, up in Philly. And he said, but I'd like to take Rick Dees in. As, hi, Rick Dees is my morning man. And he said, uh, he said, George, I'm going to do the whole routine. I'm going to billboards on buses, billboards on the streets, TV spots, big newspaper ads. Did you hear what Rick Dees said this morning on <laughs> Kiss FM? <laughs> yeah. So, so I said, <clears throat> he said, I, he said, well, now, GK said, I don't want to talk to no agent. I don't want to talk to no manager. He said, well, how should I handle this with Dees? And I said, Jay, let me call Dees. He said, well, that's why I'm calling him. I want you to call him. He said, call Dees and tell him that I'm going to hire him and don't try to come on real strong with me. He said, because I know what he was making at KHJ. He said, I'm going to pay him a little more than that. What it was then, uh, Mitch, I think it was around 75000 So <clears throat> uh, he said, tell him to come over here. And he said, don't have no agent call me. He said, don't have no manager call me. He said, I want Dees to call me. I said, okay, Jay. So I ran these down. Uh-huh. I told him the story. I said, Rick, get your butt over to, to, to Kiss FM with Jay Cook. He's a Memphis guy. He's a good guy. He's not a, one of those guys that fires everybody and puts you in a trick and all that. I said, but he don't want to talk to your agent or your manager. He wants to talk to you. And so Rick Dees went over and Jay hired him. Wow. And put him on in the morning. And, man, he started taking off. And so Jay did everything he said, billboards, bus cards, TV spots, newspaper ads, mm-hmm. and man, Rick was catching on. So <clears throat> he said, <laughs> Rick had been after three months. He he was making, he was cutting into the LA market after three months, man, because he was fresh and he knew what was going, what time, you know, we knew what he was doing. Uh-huh. So <clears throat> Jay called me, man, and he said, GK. I said, Yeah, how's Rick doing? He said, Oh, he's killing him on the air. He said, well, I got a problem with him. I said, What? He said, George, he said, I started him out at 75000 he said, now, he, he comes in because he's making a lot of noise in L.A. and doing well, a lot of street talk on him, and he wants to almost double his salary. And he said, I can't do that. You just say, hey, Rick, my wife, Carolyn, is from the South. She's from Memphis. She's going to cook us a real nice southern dinner. Why don't you come on over tonight uh, and have an early dinner with us? And so we'll talk about some stuff. Because I said, Jay, don't talk about it at the station. Because, you know, the atmosphere of a jock arguing with the PD uh, at the radio said, does, does, doesn't work, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, because there'll be interruptions, and then the rumor gets, starts flying. So he did. He called Rick, and he had him come out to his house. He said, I promise you, if you continue to do what you're doing, 
It's going to be worth your while, man. And so I can't remember exactly how much he raised him, uh-huh. but uh, within, I think, two months, Jay almost doubled his salary. Oh, wow. And, and so then he was off and running and making that big money. But that's what happened with Dees. Yeah, yeah. Good guy, too. I saw him two years ago. I went up to, when I was inducted into the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame, he was, too. Uh-huh. And uh, talked to him and his wife. And he's still a several nice guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. He's still married to Julie, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I remember you telling me a story about um, how James Brown wanted to meet Elvis and kept missing the connection. And... Yeah, well, the James Brown story is the best one. <laughs> what happened was, <clears throat> Talent Party was real hot. And uh, same situation, uh, James Brown was coming in. And he was playing downtown at the uh, old auditorium. So, uh, I got a record guy that knew James real well, and he set it up where I could go backstage and talk to James after the show. So, I got back there, and when I got there, James had his man, and he was red, James was red hot at this time. Red hot, man. His white teenagers were really digging him, in addition to the black teenagers. He was the man, you know, so, uh, when the guy, his, his road manager said, uh, so much client, he said, uh, let me ask him, I said, what he said, uh, he said, we all call James Mr. Brown, and he'll call you Mr. Klein. Is that okay? I said, yeah, sure. I have no problem with that. He said, but now, that's between you and James, but he will show you the respect. He'll call you Mr. Klein. But he, all of us back here work for him. We have to call him Mr. Brown. But he also calls us by our name, Mr. Jones, Mr. Smith, and Mr. Taylor, whatever. I said, oh, that's fair. So James come out and say, Mr. Brown, I'm George Klein. I said, yeah. He said, Bob told me he was coming, man. He said, what's up? I said, Mr. Brown, I got this TV show, and it's real, real hot, man. And I said, uh, man, you're the hottest thing going. And I said, man, if you could just, I promise you, man, you know what to do. I'm a job, too, and I'll lay on your record. But, man, I need you to come to my TV show. He said, okay. He said, uh, I'll go under one condition, Mr. Klein. I said, what's up, Mr. Brown? He said, uh, uh, you have to take me out there and bring me back. I said, okay, I'll do that. He said, well, you know, he said, I tell you what, Mitch, he was the sharpest entertainer I ever said as far as a street guy goes. He checked them books, man. He he wouldn't let nobody if you if you missed a step on stage of dancer, he'd find you fifty dollars. He'd turn around and say, You find fifty dollars <laughs> And uh then he, he, he if you were if you were late for a gig or what, he'd find you. He had it together, man. He didn't take no that's why his every show was so solid. So uh-huh. so at, he he looked at the books after the show. Look how many tickets they sell, how many programs they sell, et cetera, et cetera. He checks all that out, man. And, and so anyway, I'm driving. We driving out to 485 South Highland Channel 13, and uh, he said, "Look, Mr. Klein." He said, "I'll tell you something." I said, "Well, Mr. Brown." He said, "Look," he said, "You can call me with just me and you. You can call me James, and I'll call you George." But when all my help is around and all the people working around, so we have a policy. They call me Mr. Brown, and I call them Mr. So-and-so. I said, well, that's, that's fair, James. I understand. He said, but I just didn't want you to think I'm a big celebrity or something, making you call me Mr. Brown. I said, no, no, but I, I, I think that's cool. He said, okay. So we go in. We drive into Channel 13, same studios here today. Uh-huh. And he, well, I'm going around to the back door because it's like – the, the the TV lit, the TV reception is already gone because it's like ten thirty ish, and she left after the ten ten o'clock news went on, you know whatever, and so it was dark in the lobby, and so I was going around to the stage door right behind the station. He said, mm-hmm. "Mr. Klein, where are you going?" I said, well, "Mr. Brown, I said, uh, you know the lobby." And I told him, "I said, everybody, all the all of the uh, employees and everything, we're going in the back door because." Uh, 
uh, you know, they'll have a reception out front, and, and it's much just much easier. And he said, he said, Mr. Clyde, he said, I don't go in the back door. <laughs> and I said, well, James, it's really not like that. I said, we're all cool, man, but it's just that there's nobody in the lobby. He said, Mr. Clyde, I'm going to tell you one more time. He said, I don't go in the back doors. I said, okay, Mr. Brown, tell you what, I've got a key to the front door. We'll just go in the front door. He said, okay. So we opened the front door, and I, luckily I had a key to the front door. And a guy went in, turned the lights <laughs> on. We sat in the lobby, shot the bull, and it's time for him to go on. He came out, did two songs for me. Then when he found out I was tight with Elvis, he just, man, just that much better. He gave me interviews and and everything, man. And he kept saying, he kept saying, George, after that we called each other, you know, of a first name. Uh-huh. And I said, what, James? He said, on me to Elvis, on me to Elvis. I said, well, all right, let me call Graceland. And I call Graceland, I really would. And I'd get Richard Davis or Sonny West or Red West or Joe Esposito or Jerry Schilling, somebody on the phone. I said, look, she can't. yeah, G.A., what's up? I said, I'm with James Brown. He wants to meet Elvis, man. And they said, well, G.K., he's asleep. I said, what? He said, we partied all night. Man, you know, we stayed up all night, man. And we Elvis ain't going to get up to about 5, 6 o'clock this afternoon. I said, okay, well, that happened two or three times. And I'd go back and I'd say, James, I promise you, he, he's sleeping, man, because he stays up all night. I said, that's how he gets around in Memphis. Yeah, you know, at 10 o'clock, Memphis shuts down, and he get around real easy, nobody bothering him. So, mm-hmm. all right, all right. So then, <clears throat> so then James does my TV shows, and then, so I'm in Los Angeles doing my two weeks with Elvis on vacation. Every summer, I'd go out there with him for two weeks and go to the studio with him and all that jazz. And I, got, I was in eight of his movies. It's a, it's a silent bit type thing, you know. But anyway, so I, I, I'm talking to Elvis, and I said, Elvis, I said, uh, I forget what movie he was making. Oh, he's making, uh, he didn't return to center in the movie. Uh, we were going to the movie studio that morning, and I said, Elvis, I said, you know what? I said, uh, Jackie Wilson, man, he's planning a trip, a club on a trip this weekend. He said, he is. I said, yeah. He said, man, I want to see him. And that was Elvis's favorite singer. So it was Jackie Wilson, and so uh-huh. he said, uh, "He said, Joe, <laughs> you and uh, Jerry and help George set this up. Let's go see Jackie Wilson tomorrow night." And he said, "Y'all know how to do it. Call get the owner of the club." And they said, "Elvis, we know what to do. We'll call the owner of the club. He'll slip us in the back door. We'll have a good table. Have all that Memphis mob guys sitting around. You'd be cool." So okay, set it up. So then <clears throat> I started thinking, and on the way home from the studio that night. I said, Elvis, I said, you know, we're going to see Jackie Wilson. He said, oh, yeah, man, I can't wait. I love Jackie. And I said, Elvis, I said, James Brown is playing a big black nightclub across, across town in Los Angeles. Man, he's been wanting to meet you real bad, Elvis. I said, would you mind, please, if he just came and sat next to us on a table or something? He said, no, no. He said, that's cool. He said, Tell, invite James. Come on. So I called James, and I knew where he was, and I called him. And I said, James, I always said it's okay for you to come to the, uh, to the show tonight. We just bring your bodyguard, your road manager. Don't bring a big crowd. He said, okay, I'll be there. He said, what do I do? I said, well, I'll tell them at the door that you're coming. And I said, they'll put you near Elvis's table. He said, okay. <clears throat> so me and Richard and Jimmy Kingsley, I think, and Alan Fortis, we went early. Because we all like James a lot, you know. So, well, I like Jackie, too, to be quite frank. But anyway, uh-huh. so James comes in with his guy. He said, George, what's the deal? I said, well, James, I said, you're about three, two or three tables over from Elvis. I said, he's sitting over here. And I said, the bodyguards and some of his close friends are sitting there. But you, you're about two tables over. He said, okay. And he sat down and started you know, having a little drink. And we started talking. About that time, Elvis came in right before Jackie went on. Uh-huh. So I go over to Elvis before he sits down. 
And I said, I said, hey, you know, we called him E. I said, hey, E. Said, yeah, I said, <clears throat> I said yeah. he said, oh, thanks. Good table, GK. And I liked the way we came in the back doing the whole routine. I said, yeah, I was. I said, I said, well, look, E. I said, James Brown is over here, man. He'd been wanting to meet you real bad, Elvis. I said, <clears throat> now with this big star protocol thing, I said, do I bring him to your table? Or does he go to you? Or you go to his table as a protocol? We call for him to come to your table because you're the bigger star. And I was <laughs> to hell with protocol. I'm going to go to James's table. So <laughs> we went to James's table, and I made the introductions, uh-huh. and they shook hands and, and the handshakes and the hugs and all that. And the first thing James Brown said, Elvis, man, you sure do sleep a lot. <laughs> and Elvis busted out laughing. He said, oh, James, man, you know how it is. You party all night with these girls. You stay up all night. Can't get up no 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock. He said, I don't get up until about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And he said, I know, Elvis. He said, I'm the same way. So they laughed, and... Uh, from that moment on, they came, became past friends, and uh, James used to come around. He'd be, he'd be driving on the roads, be passing through or something, and I, I gave him Elvis' number, or he had me call, and he said, sit down, come out to mm-hmm. Grayson, you can't sing some spiritual with Elvis. <clears throat> and so I called Elvis and said, hell yeah, tell him to come on out, GK. Elvis just a little, James was lucky, Elvis just happened to be there, and said nothing was going on that night. Mm-hmm. So he came out, and he sang some spirituals with Elvis, and they became good buddies, and then when he passed away, Mitch, uh, um, he was the first big celebrity to call me, and he said, George James. I said, yeah, James. He said, oh, man, it's really bad. And I said, yeah, James, it's really bad. He said, well, look, he said, I want to come in and pay my respects. Well, I was in the kitchen at Graceland, and so happened that Priscilla was in the kitchen. Now, she was divorced from Elvis at that time, mm-hmm. but being the nice lady she is, she flew back to Memphis. On the, they flew a lot of people in on the Lisa Marie uh like Linda Thompson and Colonel Parker, Jerry Schilling and Lace Priscilla. And so Priscilla was helping run the show. So I went over to Priscilla. I said, Priscilla, it's James Brown. He wants to come in tonight and uh, pay his respects. She said, well, that's great. Tell him to come on tonight because tomorrow it's for family only. But tonight is for celebrities and stuff. I said, okay. So I said, James, she said, come home, man, and I'll, I'll tell the guard to get let you through. He said, okay, man. So I told whoever the guard was. I called and told him, look, James Brown's coming through with one guy. He's got his bodyguard with him. I said, the road manager, I said, just let him come on up. So they came up to the grace. I met him at the door, took him in the kitchen, introduced him around to Elvis' people, introduced him to Priscilla. And he said, uh, GK, where's Elvis? I said, uh, James, I said, he's he's lying in state there in the... Well, you know, Mitch, you've been to Graceland, haven't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, well, you, you walk in the door to the right, there's those big, long, white couches, and then there's a piano room right. where the piano is. I said, that's where he's laying, James. So he said, I asked Priscilla, I said, can we go in there? Priscilla, she said, yeah, go ahead. So we went in there, and so he stayed there for about 30 minutes. But uh, that's the James Brown story. Back in the uh, talent party days, you actually used that uh, format to break a few records uh, that became national hits. And one I'm thinking about is Keep On Dancing by Larry Raspberry and the Gentries. What happened, Mitch, was they had won the Ted Mack show. And so Chip's moment, and you know, I've been hanging out at his American studios, and he said, uh, he said, GK said, <clears throat> you know them guys with Gentry? So I said, yeah, I know every one of them. I said, a couple of them, they, some of the WHB cuties. They did because uh, Bruce, Bruce Bowles, yeah, was dating Bruce Bowles. He was dating one of the girls, and uh, Jimmy Hart was dating one of the other girls. They were all dating girls, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in the dance group. So they all, a lot of them went to Treadwell. <clears throat> well, let me see. 
I think two went to Treadwell and the rest of them went to Messick and other schools out there in East Memphis. So anyway, uh, I said, uh, uh, I said, Lloyd, and I said, yeah, Chips, I know him. He said, get them over here. I'll make you do some of those kids. So I, I, was, I was in a, in a, it used to be a restaurant, an Italian restaurant, barbecue restaurant at Park and Highland. So, so I'm in here and walks the gentries. And they're sitting down. And later on, they told me, they said, they were whispering, Master KSGK over there, you know. He, 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 and so uh, I went up to him and I introduced him to me. I introduced myself to him. I said, hey, guys, congratulations on winning Ted Mack. I said, oh, thank you, man. Thanks a lot. <clears throat> so I started talking to him. And I said, look, guys, I said, I'm really tight with Chip's moment. They said, the record producer? I said, yeah. And I said, uh, I think I can maybe get you some going over there. I said, I've talked to him about you and you guys, and I wish I had. And uh, so I, they said, okay. So I set them up. They went over and Chip signed them. First record out of the box was a million seller, Keep On Dancing. Right, right. Now, <laughs> now um, but did you did they have trouble breaking that record uh, well, originally? Well, what they did was, like you said, I jumped on it on TV. I immediately <clears throat> got a you know advanced copy, and they, they had them do it on TV, and the girls danced to it. And then, uh, uh, because they were really popular around Memphis, it kind of took off real quick. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I thought they were having trouble breaking it nationally, and 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 uh, due to their exposure on Talent Party, that it was original hit. Well, it did. Yeah, it, it went hand in hand. Yeah. It did. Where you got because of the Talent Party exposure, HCBQ and NPS both started playing it, and it was going up the charts real fast. And so other stations were watching us, and they started playing right, it. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Man. That, First, they thought it was a local thing, and they realized it wasn't just a local thing. Right? Yeah, man, that was a great song yeah. too. That was a great song. Yeah. And then, uh, and then when uh, uh, Larry left, and uh, Jimmy became the lead singer, and uh, they had yeah. a couple of, of, of good records with uh, with Jimmy Hart. It had Cinnamon Girl in there and something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. But they never had nothing make it as big as oh, Keep no, On Dancing. Uh -uh. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, GK. I, I really appreciate. Okay. Tell Flash I said hello. Okay, I sure will. George Klein, there will never be another one like him. I miss him every day. Now, next week, we're going to talk about a forgotten Memphis recording studio, a diamond in the rough. Be with me next Monday morning at 8.15 Memphis time as we polish that little diamond, Shoe Productions. Andy Black will be my guest on Memphis Music Interview. Memphis Music History, told from the inside. A Get Kraken production. I'm Mitch McCracken, and I hope to see you then.